friends, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Priyag's Over, Over Coffee. Coffee. So today we have with us some very exciting guests that are going to be talking to us about improving the transition to residency. Uh, so first we have with us um, Dr. Morgan. So Dr. Morgan is a clinical professor at the University of Michigan Department of OBGYN. Uh, her medical education work has focused on improving the transition to residency, and she serves as one of the co-investigators and program evaluation lead on APCO's Reimagining Residency Grant team. So welcome, Dr. Morgan. Thank you so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. Uh, next, we have with us Dr. Anita Malone. Dr. Malone is the Associate Program Director and Assistant Professor in the University of Michigan Department of OBGYN. She's the ultimate hype person for incoming interns and serves as a continual support for her residents. She, like Dr. Morgan, also has a passion for medical education. Welcome, Dr. Malone. Thank you for welcoming me. This is going to be interesting. Thank you for um, having us as well. And last but not least, we have Dr. Hallie Staples. Uh, she is a third-year OBGYN resident at Washington University in St. Louis, and she has an interest in medical education and currently serves on APCO's RRR Grant Learner Advisory Group. So welcome, Dr. Staples. Thank you so much. I'm one of you guys' biggest fans, for sure. So I'm so excited to be here. Well, no, I got to say, um, well, one of the reasons that we were excited to have you all on the podcast is that we are big fans of all of you and a very recent article that you all have published in the Journal of Surgical Education entitled Improving the Medical School to Residency Transition, Narrative Experiences from First-Year Residents. Um, and Dr. Staples, you were the first author on this paper. Um, it is such a like really exciting and great paper. Before we dive into it, though, I just wanted to know sort of in terms of what we hope our learners take away from today, um, what would you say your learning objectives for the podcast should be? Yeah, we have three main learning objectives that we came up with as a group. So the first is to discuss why improving the residency transition process is a growing topic of interest. The second is to identify recent literature highlighting different perspectives within the transition. And the third is to propose opportunities to build community and provide learners with what they need at the transition to residency point. Awesome. So I, I guess the first question for uh, our panel here is, you know, why is it important to talk about the transition to residency? I'm going to open that up to, to anybody to, to answer. I think I can start. I mean, um, Dr. Morgan and I uh, do this course um, for our fourth year medical students in Michigan. And, and we always kind of share our transition story from um, medical school into residency. And uh, my image that I chose is kind of like Katniss Aberdeen kind of being shot up out of the, the little tube, kind of going into, you know, <laughs> into battle kind of on the beachfront. It's <laughs> such a, you have like this high critical um, experience where you graduate from medical school, you had the top of your game, quote unquote, and then you transition into like this very high stakes thing where somebody's going to call you doctor. And this idea of moving to a new city, having a different um, you know, job where literally you can hurt people um, and what that means. And, you know, how am I like all of the demons kind of come to come to the forefront before you move. So new location, new high stakes jobs, brand new set of team members that you're going to be involved in. And all those taken together can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, and I think particularly um, paralyzing. And if we don't manage the transition very well in terms of like, this is who you are, this is where you're coming to, this is who you're gonna, who you're becoming. If we don't manage that well, it can be a really a poor experience for everybody. And, and I think that uh, the transition point is 
such an important point, but everything has been so siloed. So there's the content that we do at the medical school level. So Dr. Malone and I have this great course. It's eight weeks long to prepare students for OBGYN residencies, but that's only one part, right? That's the like the medical knowledge content. And then there's so many other things that really people haven't thought about or examined that are really important for the transition point. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned with that, Dr. Morgan, you know, those things that are like those residency preparation courses, those boot camps, the like particular intern focused orientations. I mean, I guess thinking back a little bit on, you know, probably our collective experience between us as sort of the, you know, fresh out of residency between Faye and I and Dr. Staples being in residency. I'm curious, Dr. Staples, just for you as sort of the, the last person to go through this transition. Um, Tell me a little bit about your transition, especially because you came up like, I presume during the pandemic and everything too, um, which probably just made things even more interesting than usual. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with Dr. Malone and Dr. Morgan more. Um, it, it was quite an interesting transition right when COVID hit was basically when our graduation and our match days were as a class. To say the transition was was tough is, I, I think, would be an understatement for a lot of the interns that we interviewed in this paper among, among them and then also among my class, just kind of discussing not being able to see my new apartment in person, moving from a new city from Indianapolis to St. Louis, not being able to have those in-person interactions with attendings and fellow residents because of the fear of the pandemic not having those supports that you that you would have had in person. I it was it was tough, but we got through it as a class and I I'm so grateful for my program and all of the things that they did to support us through that time. But I think those were were the biggest things just pertaining to the pandemic and even thinking about just the normal stressors of transitioning from the fire hose of medical school and all of the information that you learn to actually taking care of patients and becoming that person that they rely on and making sure that I, I was holding up my end of the bargain when it came to knowledge and taking care of them the best possible. Um, those all definitely factored into the transition. And I think just looking at our paper and the other data that have been published as well about burnout and depression and suicide rates increasing within those first few months of the residency transition, this, these data and talking to everybody within the intern class that we spoke with was just super important to us. So I'm so glad that, that everyone was able to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of want to turn this back to Dr. Morgan and Dr. Malone now because the two of you have an interesting perspective of being on the other side, of being APD, of being involved in uh, resident medical education. So I'd love to hear what your perspectives are in this transition um, in, in your roles uh, in education. So I think one of the words that Hallie mentioned is so important to emphasize is like what supports do the learners need? Because I think that many of us who are in medical education are good at trying to guess what our learners need from our own lived experiences and from our own silos of where the spaces that we work in. So I can I can think about it in terms of the medical school space, and I can think about what I think that learners need. And then I think Dr. Malone can comment on what she does from the residency space. But it was amazing to see how rarely people have actually asked the learners what the supports are that they need. And um, 
you know, Hallie is a member of our learner advisory group, and that was where it's so helpful to have the learner's perspective on our APCO grant, because one of the members of our learner advisory group, Rodrigo Munoz, at one point, he was like, don't talk about learning goals, talk about where, like, am I going to like my co-interns? That's what I'm going to be thinking about in March. I'm like, don't talk to me about coaching through residency, talk to me about how am I going to find a house? And that's really how this project was born, of what are the stressors and what are the supports that the learners need at different points for a match day through the first couple months of residency. And I would say in terms of, you know, what we do on our end of things, I think, you know, I think most programs do this, but I would just speak to specifically at Michigan is like the minute that you match with us, like we, we don't call you, we want to FaceTime you. We want you to, especially in this day and time where we've not, like we just realized that all of our interns are like, they feel like they're all six foot tall and we've never met them until they came to us. Right. So, but we want to see your face. We want to interact with you. So the PD and APD. And I think at one point, Dr. Morgan was there when we were doing our match day celebration. We want to call you and be like, hey, this is, we're so excited that you're coming because we don't know if that was an exciting match day for you or it was a bad match day for you, but we don't necessarily care. As far as I'm concerned, we have the six best interns in America. And that's what I communicate all the time. You now belong to this awesome family. So we do this FaceTime immediately at like, like one o'clock on match day. And then the next day when you, um, go to your mailbox because we have it, you know, we have thing we, we, we FedEx thing, we FedEx kind of, we call it our matchbox. And this idea of like creating this sense of family and team and identity is very much important to us. You now belong to the Michigan family. And that comes with, you know, we are big on marketing in Michigan that comes with flair. So their socks and their hats and their like Zingerman's and their classic kind of Ann Arbor things. You may have wanted to be in New York, but you're going to have pastrami on rye from Zingerman's Deli and what that means. <laughs> you have like a gift certificate from Zingerman's and there's like a card signed by all the residents be like, welcome to the family and welcome to the, the the team and this idea of like you now belong to something much bigger than yourself but you belong to something else um and whatever it is you were feeling on that particular day be it disappointment excitement whatever that we are excited to have you that we want you and this is what you're joining that's very much and that's like a day one kind of thing and as the rest of like march april may kind of progresses on because like match day you know the the, the names come out at noon and like, like 12, 15, our residents are like, who did we get? Who did we get? Who's coming? Who's coming? And they're so chopping at the bit, this idea of like, who are the next, our next little six pack joining our family? And then we send out those people's names and addresses and the the, inter, the chiefs are like emailing them be like, hey, this is what's going on. Like, do you need to buy a house? I'm selling my house. I have a realtor, that kind of thing. So there's this community that's immediately kind of formed. They remember where they were kind of coming into this space. Um, so we kind of encourage that kind of an experience. You know, this is, come to us. This is who you belong to now, at least for the next four years. Hopefully the transition will be. So that those are some of the initial things that we do um, to kind of help with that very first jarring kind of transition. You're coming to Ann Arbor, you come to the space, you're coming to us. So those things we do. And then once you get here in terms of orientation, I think we're very transparent. Like we do orientation together. It's a six of them. We, we build in time into orientation, whereas like you have time to go to lunch with your six classmates, right? Like we wanted you to build this sense of team and cohesiveness in your six. And then with the other residents in terms of like, we have people come in and help out with orientation. And then like kind of towards the end, we always ask like, what are your greatest fears? What are you thinking about? What's happening? Um, and kind of we make those fears and sense of dread for lack of a better word, normal and recognize like you're ready. And just as you came to us, we wanted you whether we don't say whether or not you wanted us, but we wanted you and you're here and you're ready and you're enough just as you are. 
Like we're going to get you through this. It's going to be scary. It's going to be hard. There's going to be animatic fluid in your shoe at some particular point, but we're going to get you through. And we've all done this and we're going to help you through the process. So that's what we're, we're very intentional about kind of like sharing the fears, sharing the vulnerability and making that normal because residency is tough. Like there's no way to make it pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's lovely hearing all of that story and vicariously living the Michigan experience um, through your words, Dr. Malone. <laughs> it brings back a lot of memories, and I'm sure probably the same for Faye, you know, as we were co-residents at Brown, um, you know, getting those initial, like, 32 people screaming into the phone on match day, welcoming you to to the new place, and then hearing all about the new city, finding out who your co-interns are. Um, establishing that sense of community that's, you know, is so, so important. And then is like formed the basis for lifelong friendships. I mean, Faye and I run this podcast on a weekly basis, still three years after we graduated from our residencies. Um, so no, it just like, I agree with you wholeheartedly, um, regardless of how programs do it. Um, and we all know that the fire hose of knowledge and technical skills and stuff is coming. Um, and so establishing some of those community supports, I, I can't agree more with the sentiment. Um, I guess kind of though that moves us towards your paper to some degree though. Um, because you all with this kind of explored this residency transition that we've all been sort of talking about and reminiscing about to some degree. Um, and you guys kind of come up with some ways that we can think about it and potentially improve the transition. Um, so maybe Dr. Staples kind of take us through what you all did and what you all found. As far as our paper goes, I was... I was doing these qualitative interviews as an intern when I was on uh, labor and delivery days, along with uh, Sarah Frank, who was a fourth year medical student at the time. So shout out to Sarah and thanks so much for your help. But we, when it came down to it, we performed 26 qualitative interviews all via Zoom, both Sarah and I, of these first year OBGYN residents to find out what supports could have been helpful for the transition. And we curated and created this list of questions where we thought, okay, what supports would be the best option for you? What do you think we could do better when it comes to the transition to residency? And we found six common themes for support throughout all of the interviews. And I'm going to go through each of them because they're all so, so important. I think Dr. Morgan would really agree with me about this. But so the first, first and foremost establishing a residency program community was the most important for everyone. And I, I can definitely reflecting on this, having that community, having all of my co-residents that were senior to me and also having my, my class, which is the best class ever, in my opinion, um, having them all there by my side through intern was, it was imperative to my survival. The second being relocation resources. I know some people say, at their home institutions and they already live at, at the areas that they're going to train at for residency. But for me and for many others, a lot of us relocate to other cities. So having the resources available to say, hey, this is a good area of town. This is where you should really focus your house search if you wanna buy a house, or this is where I found my latest apartment. 
or things of that nature. The third being residency prep content in both medical school and residency. So this pertains to those medical school boot camps that a lot of us are very familiar with now, where we get those hands-on skills and we get those introduction to APCO topics that that everyone has curated very extensively. Um, and residency orientation itself, getting those hands-on, okay, this is what it's going to look like to do a a second degree repair or to do a C-section, et cetera. The fourth being, and this is very near and dear to my heart as, I, as I'm a proponent for this training, um, preparedness to address racism and bias. That was one of the common themes where when people relocate to other areas or are not as familiar with certain populations or marginalized populations, a lot of them felt like they were inequipped to address the inequities that they saw within the healthcare system and having the ability to address that racism and bias would, would be very helpful to, to some people who are transitioning. The fifth being connecting with peers with similar lived experiences across institutions. So there came this idea of a small network of people that lived in that Michigan area or that Indiana area or that California area in the North or South people who could connect, not just at your residency program, but create that network and cast that net wider. And finally, uh, more proactive and intentional touch points from program leadership early in residency. So kind of like Dr. Malone was talking about getting that FaceTime from your program director, having, having those people who are going to be really important to your orientation and your transition having them communicate with you as soon as possible so that you can feel as confident and comfortable as possible going through that transition. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Stables. I think those are definitely great points and great ways, I think, um, to establish that transition. Um, I know that, you know, certainly we're always looking to improve and we're always looking to see what we can do in the future. So um, what do, you know, the three of you foresee in terms of future directions to improve this residency transition? I think to, to build a little bit off of what Hallie was describing is that we found there was so much intersectionality also in these different pressure points. We unfortunately know that there is a greater percentage of learners who match at a place where they weren't, they didn't think they were gonna match. So we have people matching lower on their match list. And so maybe you are going to a new town that was not in your top three and you don't have your family support for your baby or your spouse might not have the work supports that they were anticipating they were going to have. And so we can't just like wing this anymore. I think that's what's always happened, right? Like, oh, the, you know, they'll find a realtor or, oh, they'll figure out childcare or, you know you know, the gender dynamics have changed. Like, oh, do spouses work? Yeah, spouses work now. <laughs> and so there's all these pressure points. Um, and especially if you have multiple pressure points along all the six areas that Holly described, that's how the transition can be so overwhelming that then when you are then supposed to give 120% of yourself to patient care, you can't because you're already starting to drown before you even started. And so being intentional with all six aspects, like what Dr. Malone described, like giving all of the residents the contacts right away of the new interns so that they flood them, so that they have that, 
you know, everything that Dr. Malone described is intentional. So it's not like, let's just kind of figure it out as we go, but no, this is how we build all those supports at the different stages of what Dr. Staples was describing so that a learner isn't going to die a death by a thousand cuts, but more, this is how we're going to really smooth the transition point. And then if I, um, if I can add a little bit too, I'm very proud to be working on our APCO Reimagining Residency Grant, thinking about how to be intentional. So how do you pair coaching and self-assessments and learning communities with the transition? Because we know that for many learners, the ones who are drowning are the ones who are least likely to ask for help. The ones who are asking for help are often the ones who are doing just fine. But how do we create the support so that people are reaching out and saying, hey, I noticed you haven't answered your email. Like, what else can we help you with? Because I think that we're all trying to figure out how to smooth this transition point. And I think the the idea of intentionality is very much important and that winging it isn't enough. The temperature, the climate that we live right now, the, the garbage fire of life right now with COVID and all the things is so crazy that the baseline is, is already up here. So if we just kind of wing it, we're going to lose people. And I think the assumption that everybody's going to struggle, they're going to struggle somewhere and making that assumption, like people who are like, there's no like rock star people in terms of like, you're going to come in and you're going to float in and you're going to get your first cervical check. It's going to be amazing. Everybody's going to struggle somewhere, be it in their family life, be it in some kind of clinical, be it in medical not. So make that assumption that the struggle is going to happen and be very intentional about speaking to our inter and also getting to know your learners. So this idea of, and knowing that you have this vast wealth in your residency, but also among your attendings. I'm not a parent, right? I've never parented a child of my own, um, but I know if somebody's coming in, like one of my interns has a six month old, Evangeline. So it was important for me to know, you know, does his wife work outside the home? She does, but she works primarily remotely. If she wasn't, if she was an educator, okay, I know, couple of my, my partners who are educators, I'm like, okay, well, does she need, you know, he or she need a job in education? Like, how do we make that connection happen? But knowing about Miss Evangeline and her six month beautifulness and who's taking care of her and, you know, they happen to move into a situation where grandparents are here, but knowing about that, who's coupled, who's, you know, who coupled match, who didn't couples match, who's, who's, you know, couple, whose um, partner is in Boston somewhere and they're really struggling with that particular kind of um, point, but being very intentional about that kind of stuff and knowing about each other so that we can extend grace, I think, when, you know, be like, okay, well, maybe this person doesn't need to like work every single weekend in the next, you know, they need to be able to go to Boston for, you know, 48 hour period so they can feel okay. But I think being intentional about knowing the, knowing all about each other, not about getting each other's business, but knowing how to support each other well, you, it has to be on purpose. Like there's a residency. And I think, you know, just being in this very intense situation is not, it doesn't lend itself well to being siloed and being like, I am a, a lone star kind of, you cannot figure it out for yourself. Um, and there are people who have transitioned the space already that can help you. It is a parenting group that Dr. Um, Morgan kind of helped to create that, you know, probably going to try to reinfuse like new life into in terms of like, what does it mean to be a parent in residency? Like, I don't like I try to keep my plants alive and it was not very successful when I was in residency, much less keeping a small human alive. But there are other resources that are among you and just, just being very intentional about connecting people with those persons who, who've got or traveled this path before, I think is so important. Yeah, I love the, the focus you all have provided on intentionality with this transition. Um, is a like sort of a side of another place where I like listen and try to gather ideas 
in the podcast world, there's a group called like the Key Lime Key Literature and Medical Education Podcast, and they have focused in on like a number of historical papers this summer. But there was one recently that I'm reminded of regarding, you know, resident burnout and um, suicidality or leaving medicine and seeing that, again, this transition periods, the first and second year are really the danger points. Um, and so, again, thinking about how we intentionally focus on helping folks get through their intern year, succeed in their intern year is really, really important. We've talked a lot today about sort of local or hyper-local type of focus, right? The, the onus on the programs, and certainly there's a lot of onus on the programs. Um, but I know at the systems or sort of like regional, national level, there are other things that are going on too. Um, do you all have insight into some of these sort of directions or initiatives, for instance, Dr. Morgan through APCO? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point that many residency programs are working as hard as they can, right? Like everybody in life is working extra hard right now, but residency program leadership is always stretched thin because it's usually one or two, you know, maybe a PD and an APD, like doing so much for a whole residency class. And so we're very fortunate that our whole specialty is, is really focusing on the transition through our APCO grant. And so we have um, models that we are you know, starting small and then building bigger faster. So Karen George and Sarah Wagner have really championed a transition to internship, a ready, readiness for residency curriculum that really focuses less so on the medical knowledge, but about you know, how do you deal with uncertainty and how do you learn how to learn because residency is so different than, you know, taking a bunch of tests in medical school. And so I don't want to say the number because I'm going to get it wrong, but they've had over, I think, 100 programs or close to 100 programs that are using their curriculum. We have started training coaches to be transitions coaches um, through our grant so that we have faculty who are, they're not the PD, but maybe the APD or a faculty who can help coach the new interns um, on how to create goals and how can the whole classes itself create goals for how they can support each other through the residency. Because oftentimes you don't know how your co-interns are struggling unless you're very intentional about thinking about what the different areas of support are for everybody. Um, and so those are some of the bigger initiatives that we're thinking about. And of course, I have to, of course, give a huge shout out to the two of you who've been part of the OBGYN Intern Challenge that has really been a learner driven, like how do you create content so that people have the medical knowledge base that they can build off of. Um, so through your work and Liz Southworth and Sarah Santiago's work, we're trying to figure out kind of how we add this all together to create a package for the transition to residency for our whole specialty so we can lead the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of this is super exciting work and I think definitely work that needs to be done. You know, I think in terms of takeaway points for today's podcast episode, um, what are some of the main takeaways that you kind of want our listeners to go home with? If you don't mind, I'll take it away for the takeaways. Hope my joke wasn't too. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> um, so we came, we came up with six takeaways. So first being the transition has become an important topic secondary to increasing burnout, depression, and suicide within the first months of those 
newly minted residents assuming their roles. Second, recent interviews with first-year OBGYN residents highlighted that relocation resources, establishing communities within the residency program, peer connections with common lived experiences, and earlier connection points from residency program leadership were additional supports that would help with the transition. Third, there are multiple pressure points at distinct times from match day through the first weeks of residency that can cumulatively contribute to an especially stressful transition with important equity considerations. Fourth, providing support could decrease the overwhelming nature of this important educational transition. Fifth, residents also felt strongly about increasing their preparedness to address racism and bias prior to starting their intern year. And finally, many opportunities have been identified to improve the transition to residency. And I think we can really only go up from here. Oh, um, well, again, thank all of you for your time, expertise, and contributing to the literature on this. We're thrilled that um, OBGYN is gonna be leading the way to improve the transition to residency. Um, so thanks again. We'll have your paper posted on our website or a link to the paper posts on the website. And once again, this is Nick. This oh, is Faye. And this has been Kriegs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go on to your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreagsOverCoffee1, on Instagram and Facebook at CreagsOverCoffee, or if you love the show want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash CreagsOverCoffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. We'll have show notes for this show and all of our other episodes on our website, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week. You can find that at www.CreagsOverCoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction for this or any of our previous episodes, or want to get in touch with one of our guests, email us, greyeggsovercoffee at gmail.com.